You are listening to the Fur Road Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God and love people. For more information about Fur Road, visit furroadcc.org. That is F-I-R-R-O-A-D-C-C.org. Now for this week's message. Uh, but most of us at some point have probably had something that we wish we could get rid of. For me, as I was thinking about an illustration for this, I was reminded of probably about four years ago, my wife wanted us to have this chicken coop, and there was this little shed that hadn't been used for anything else, and it was like overgrown with a bunch of weeds, and so we went in there one day, and we were cutting all these weeds, uh, taking all uh, the branches off, all the overgrowth that had been there from accumulation of years, and in the process, I got a little prick on my my wrist and I didn't know what it was from and I didn't really think anything of it you know no big deal I'd been wearing gloves but I got this little ding on my my wrist and so we just kind of went about our day and finished that project and the next day I looked and it looked like there was this little red spot there and uh, it you know didn't you know usually I heal it'll be gone in a couple two three days I'm not going to worry too much about it the third day, it had grown to the size of this dime. And I started to get a little bit more concerned because things are supposed to shrink and not grow when you're healing. And so this process of, okay, maybe I need to uh, start looking into some type of cure. So, you know, I went to the store, bought some ointment, put it on, uh, wait a couple more days, and now it was the size of a quarter. I was like, oh, all right, so let's up the ramp. Uh, what else can I get to get rid of this uh, growing spot that I have no idea what it was? Uh, and so I went and got the strongest ointment I had started to do some online research googled and tried to like compare the picture of my rash with the rashes that you look online and of course there's a thousand of those and that doesn't help but I go and I get the, ra- the cream and I start upgrading and scaling up the what I can do to try to get rid of this and nothing is helping and in fact it seems to be making it worse and so after a week or two uh, my uh, little spot that I had had spread up my arm and actually started to spread along my side and up my neck and at this point I'm like uh this is definitely not good you know this is starting to impact my daily routine Uh, I was getting itchy it's impacting how much my wife wants to be around me right uh and so you know you you don't want to hug somebody with a rash it's kind of weird and creepy especially when you don't know what it is and and so then it's like okay I gotta ramp this up again so I go to the doctor I go and seek their advice they're like uh well it could be a bunch of different things uh take this cream and see if it works so I try that a few days, still not slowing anything down. This thing is spreading like wildfire across my body. I have to preach on that Sunday. It's the most uncomfortable sermon I've ever had. And like going, trying to just survive this day to day. And nothing, I, no matter what I do, I can't get rid of this. Finally, the doctor goes to like the highest dosage of steroids that they can get, give me. They finally give me this shot, uh, and they finally say, we think it's probably poison ivy. It's just like a really weird, bad case of it, because usually it doesn't spread internally like that or whatever. And so I had this weird case of poison ivy that I could not get rid of. But finally, after that final dosage of steroids and being on that and doing some other things they prescribed, I was finally get re- able to see some regret aggression and over time it finally thankfully all went away but that was something that I tried and tried to get rid of and just could not do it and it impacted my day-to-day and it impacted my relationships and it impacted my ability to communicate uh, my ability to do ministry I mean you don't want to get called on by a pastor that has a rash covered in his arm and so you know it, it really impacted what I could do and so I 
Uh, it makes me be able to relate to the story of, that we're going to be going through today. And that is the story of Naaman. And most of us are probably familiar with this story. Uh, if you're not, it is found in 2 Kings 5, 1 through 19. And Naaman has this problem of having something that he cannot get rid of. Uh, you know, as we look at this first verse, we quickly find out what this is. It says in verse, uh, chapter 5 of 2 Kings, verse 1, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master, highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was this valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. He had everything going for him. He had position, he had power, he had prestige. Naaman was someone that most people in his area looked up to. He was someone who had a legacy, he had a story, he had it all. But no matter how much he had going for him, he had this one thing that had become against him. He was a leper. And in ancient leprosy, this was kind of like a, a big, big deal. This impacted not only you physically, but this impacted you socially. Uh, you weren't allowed to be around people. You weren't allowed to go and participate in different things. Because in ancient leprosy, you would get this disease. You would get this, uh, this small red spots on your skin. And before too long, the spots would get bigger. And then they'd start to turn white, and sometimes they'd get shiny or scaly in appearance, and pretty soon the spots would spread over your whole body. You would lose hair, uh, first in your head, and then maybe your eyebrows, and things would get worse. Your fingernails and toenails would become loose. They'd start to rot and eventually fall off. Then joints of the fingers and toes begin to rot and fall off piece by piece. Your gums would begin to shrink, and then you couldn't hold your teeth in your mouth anymore. And so this leprosy was a d disease that was just one of the most disgusting things that you could get and it was something that was contagious and so you had to be isolated so that you didn't impact or infect anybody else and so no matter what this guy had going for him this one thing this huge thing took all of that away his power his prestige his position could not stop him from being impacted by this. You know, we don't get a lot of this backstory, but I'm sure at this point that we find him here, he had gone and tried everything to get rid of this. I'm sure he'd gone to the local specialist. I'm sure he'd gone to the temple and prayed to his gods. I'm sure he had gone to the highest and the best specialist in the area, the, the leper people who, who maybe had gotten cured or tried these different ailments uh, that had been uh, able to help them. They maybe, you know, the, essentially the Google of the day. I'm sure he, he looked and he talked and he tried all of these different things just to get rid of this. He was willing to go to the extremes to get rid of this extremely negative thing. And that's where we find him in this story. This person who had all this going for him, but he had this going against him that left him despaired and desperate. In verse 2 we read this, Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. 
we have in this story interjected this unexpected servant girl, this person who was taken away from her home, who was taken captive in a position in a place where she didn't want to really be, maybe this place that was hopeless for her, she was going to be there the rest of her life potentially and didn't have the hope of going back, but she still instilled hope into Naaman. Despite her circumstances, God used her. She's an exa- a terrific example of faithful, being a faithful witness in terrible circumstances. Even though her life wasn't maybe what she dreamed about, she still cared enough to speak up, and she had faith enough to believe that Elisha, this person that she knew about, would heal and cure him of his leprosy. She has this faith that gave him hope, that he could find something to get rid of this this disease that had impacted him so severely. And that's a reminder to us that we never know when God might use us to share hope with people in circumstances that we might not really be too keen about being in. Always be ready to give a testimony to the faith that God has given to you. But she does that to Naaman. And Naaman still has that mindset of, I am going to do whatever it takes to get rid of this so that I can get back to where I was at. And so we see the response by Naaman. It says in verse 4, Naaman went to his master and he told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. So we see all the things that he has to offer. He has these riches, he has these valuable gifts, he has this money, he has these clothes. And so he gets this king of Syria to support him and tell him that he has his blessing to do this. He has his military escort as he's going. You know, he has the pomp and circumstance that comes along with that. And, you know, he is traveling in this parade of power and, you know, with wealth. And also he has this note that instructs the king of Israel to do whatever it takes to give this man his health back, to get rid of this leprosy. It shows that he was willing to offer everything so that he could get his things back. In verse 7, it says, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, and this is one of the most surprising responses that you would not expect, he tore his robes and asked this question, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured out of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? So it's like this weird little detour. You know, Naaman shows up with all this stuff. He's trying to buy his health. He is just going to where he thinks that he can find this answer. And this person responds like being scared and starts tearing his clothes in front of him and starts crying out and questioning and really, you know, has this idea of like uh, just quivering in fear. And he very very clearly makes this point that he has no way of curing him. And Naaman's probably just standing there, um, I just came to get cured, not, not to kill you. So just calm down, tell me where I can find this guy. And then in verse 8, it says, When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him his messenger. 
Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So even though the king couldn't do anything about it, Elisha has a God that can. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and he stopped at Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry, and he said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God, wave his hands over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not the Abna and the Farfar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I just wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. I think there's some things that we need to just kind of sit on and dwell on and hear in this passage. You know, Naaman was willing to do all these things. He was willing to go to all these extremes. But at this point where he is finally able to be on the doorstep of having this cure, he has this weird, strange reaction. He allows some things to get in his way of doing what Elisha says. And he uses this phrase, I thought. I thought. I thought he would surely come out to me. I thought he would come and meet me on my own terms. I thought he would come and, and wave his hands and do this incantation and this magic and he'd have this ability, he would have this power, he would be this great prophet that can just come out and do this and heal me when he comes out here. I thought that I could go and maybe get this cure, this ointment to rub on it. I, I thought that he was going to do things differently. I think this is so familiar to the way that we sometimes come to God in prayer. How we come to God in our expectations of the way that God is supposed to do things for us. We read scriptures, we read stories, we, we hear about different things, and we get in our, our mindset these things that are supposed to take place, these things that are supposed to play out a certain way, and we start to think in our own terms and too many times we had the mindset, Lord, let your will be done. And by that mean, I mean my will be done. I can't help to wonder how many blessings we have missed out on because we're not willing to do things God's way and not our own because we know what we need to do even before we ask God to do it. And instead of letting him give us divine wisdom, we rely on our own wisdom. You know, Naaman reveals some things about his character. He reveals this pride, and he also reveals rage. Pride and rage can make easy instructions become hard to follow. I think there's personal stories that we can probably relate to this. How many of you have ever bought something that was, you know, one, it came in a box that's like easy to assemble, right? Uh, you only need three tools. And so because of that, and because you, you can see the picture, you already know in your mind, I can do this. I can build this. I can fix this. And so we get it out of this package. This comes every Christmas, I think I have this issue. I can do this without reading the instructions. So I put the instructions aside. And this table ends up looking like a staircase when I'm done with it. 
it, and I'm wondering what happens, and I get mad and angry because my pride got in the way. Rather than just reading the simple instructions, now I have to disassemble the whole thing and rebuild it the correct way, following the directions, but now I'm mad and angry that it took me three times as long. I think our pride is damaged and frustration leads to rage. Uh, You know, eventually that gets us in trouble sometimes. Pride and rage can make easy instructions become hard to follow. Because in Naaman's case, the instructions go to the Jordan and wash seven times. Such simple, easy instructions. But his pride gets in the way of that. He thinks his way is better and, and he gets angry about it too. Uh, even if you haven't built something, I think another thing that we have issues with when we have pride that maybe most of us can relate to is maybe a time that you've gone to a doctor, right? And you already have in your mindset what that cure needs to be. You've already self-prescribed your on WebMD what you're going to have to need to do and also your prescription in your recovery time. And no matter what the doctor says, you already know better on how to heal, how to find the cure, how to go through this process. And sometimes I think pride can get in the way where we think we are healed sooner than the doctor is wrong and doesn't know how long this is supposed to happen and doctors don't really know who I am and how quickly I heal and so we we disregard those easy instructions sometimes when it comes to things medically too that's definitely the case with here with Naaman here he ignores the simple instruction because of pride and be he becomes has rage that comes out of that in verse 13 though this happens Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? I think this is a reminder, as we've seen in a couple of the other passages, that who you surround yourself with really makes a difference. And you should always be intentional about surrounding yourself with people who will speak truth into your life, who will help you to make the right choices and to carry out the right decisions, even when our own rage or pride gets in the way, that they still have the ability to help you see the right thing to do and encourage you to do the right thing in the right manner. Naaman is fortunate to have people who speak truth into his life, and he listens to them after he has probably calmed down and thought through and processed it, and he sees the the wisdom in their truth. In verse 14, it says this, so he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God told him. I think it's something that we typically do in this story is we like to read into the text here and really draw this out a little bit. And, you know, uh, that's kind of probably maybe how it happened. That his name and is going into this dirty river, this river that isn't as good as his rivers at home, that doesn't have the same history. And this is just a, you know, kind of a weird place to be dipping in, but I'm going to go ahead and go ahead and do it because that's what was instructed. And I've, I've calmed down a little bit, but these simple instructions are just to dip, but I still don't fully believe that it's going to cure me. Because as he dips once and he comes out and he looks as nothing has changed. He dips twice, he comes out, nothing has changed. He dips three times and he's probably wondering if he's just wasting his time. He's probably wondering if he's doing it right. Maybe he's lost count by this time, I don't know. But he goes down fourth times and, and still nothing seems to be taking, making a difference. After the fifth time, he looks and his skin is still rotten. The sixth time, he is questioning whether he wasted his entire trip and his resources when he should be going someplace else. 
He's doubting whether God can really do this, whether Elisha is someone who really has the power of God in him, wondering, am I really going to get get rid of this? So as he goes down and comes out the seventh time, we see this. His flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. You think about that statement and how much that means. This war-grizzled veteran, this person who's seen his fair share of battles, he's traveled the road, he's been in charge of different things, and he comes out and maybe he looks and he has the skin of a young boy. It's not where it was, it's even better. And as he is probably getting emotional at the fact that his life has just been changed, that his life has now been returned to him. He probably has a lot of different things that is going through his mind. And he's grateful and thankful that he took the time, that he listened, and that he completed these simple instructions. He was cleansed from all of this sickness, and he was made pure, and probably in excitement and joy, he comes out. He's probably showing all of his different attendants the fact that he is now clean. And as they get past this, then they continue on. It says, verse 15, Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. And he stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servants. And in verse 16, 17, and 18, there's just this exchange of Elisha refusing these gifts and him wanting to continue to do that. And then as a consolation, he kind of asks Elisha if he'd be okay in a weird request to take two uh, mule-full packs of dirt so he could take it back to his land and be able to have the dirt from Israel that he would be able to worship in his country amidst this culture that doesn't believe in God, that he could have something to stand on that would remind him of him in this moment. It's kind of like that altar and that memory of being able to worship on this this sacred land of God. But after all, this kind of plays out. Verse 19 says this, Go in peace, Elisha says. That's the way that Naaman leaves. And that's the last thing that Elisha says to Naaman is go in peace. So what are some things and key lessons that we can learn from this story? I want to turn it from them to us. And what can we learn? What can we apply? How can we take this to heart? A few of the things that I want us to take with us is that God is constantly at work to lead people to himself no matter how dark their condition Another thing is that God uses any committed believer, no matter how ordinary or insignificant he might be, because the mighty God who dwells on us makes us significant as his instruments of light, just as the girl was. Another thing that we can learn is that the grace of God cannot be bought with silver or gold or power or position. We must come to God in faith and believe in his revelation in the scripture. Another thing is that God wants us to go in peace. But I think another deeper thing is in understanding the context and and maybe the things that uh, would have been readily observant and available to the audience who would have read this as Israelites is that, you know, we think of leprosy as just a disease, just this physical ailment that is going to corrupt, that's going to corrode, that is going to change this person's life. 
But one of the things that happens in scriptures is there's often a spiritual layer to it. And we oftentimes just look at this physical layer, but they would have also looked at this as a spiritual layer. And you know, as leprosy is equated to actually sin in the culture of the Israelites. So not only is it something really bad physically, but it's also something really bad spiritually. You know, as we look at this, this person uh, of Naaman who came for this physical cure, but only, not only did he go home with a physical cure, but he also went home spiritually pure. He knew which God he was going to worship, and he took things to help him to be able to worship. And I think this story is a reminder that God isn't just concerned about a physical cure, but he's more concerned about making you spiritually pure. I think so much in our lives we can focus on the physical things that we lose track of the spiritual. I think in our prayer requests it's so much easier just to pray for people's physical nature, the things that we hear about, their surgeries, uh, you know, the ailments, maybe the losses of loved ones, and I think those are things that we need to pray about. But I also think we need to be just as intentional about praying about people's spiritual needs about helping God to instill in them this desire to be spiritually pure, praying for them that God would do things in their life that they could see and understand who God is, that God would put people in their lives that could speak truth into them so that they would be just as concerned with spiritual pureness as their physical cures. When we look at our lives, when we look at people, and maybe even we look at ourselves, I think sometimes if we start to analyze and kind of make this connection to leprosy, I think there's most of us have some type of sin that is a lot like leprosy, right? It starts out small, one day it just shows up, and we don't think too much of it. But as time goes on, that sin kind of repeats, and that sin kind of grows and it starts to grow bigger and bigger, and it becomes unhealthy, and we, we tend to go back to it, whether that be pride or rage or anger, whether it be bitterness, hatred, being calloused, maybe there's some spiritual scarring, maybe there's people that you don't want to connect with or that you've had become disenfranchised with, maybe there's people at home that you've just had this tense relationship that bring out these negative feelings to them. But over the days, over the years, over the weeks, this has grown into a bigger and bigger disease that has started to impact your life. It started to deteriorate your relationships, and it started to rot away your ability to live out your faith in a pure and loving way. It's become the spiritual disease that you just can't get rid of. Maybe you've tried different things, simple things that you've heard of. Maybe you've read a Bible verse. Maybe you said a short prayer. Maybe you've come to church hoping that coming in one time would cure you of this disease, that you could get rid of this thing that's just eating away at your heart. And you're wondering, what can I do to get rid of this? I don't want that anger. I don't want that pride. I don't want that rebellious heart. I don't want that relationship with that person to go down this path. I think that today is a reminder that even though that process can be hard, there's a simple instruction for the cure to the disease of sin. And it can be a humbling experience 
to be part of your story, to allow God's power of restoration and healing to heal you, to cure you, to have a pure heart, to have a heart of love, to be restored, as scripture says, to that of like a child. There's hope that we can have in, in coming to church and through what the Bible teaches us through forgiveness that comes from God. We can be freed from the bonds of sin this morning that are, by allowing Jesus to cleanse your heart with his blood, the soul-cleansing blood that causes this spotlessness to wash over us, to have the disease of sin taken away, that we, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross of the Calvary, it purifies us, it cleans us, it removes us, it washes us free. We can leave that behind and go forward and worship God with our lives, restoring those relationships and I don't know what sin you might be struggling with what disease has grown in your life that is impacting you maybe right now the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart maybe something is coming to your mind that he is kind of nagging at you with that this is something that you need to get rid of and I want you and I want God to go with you in peace. I want you to be able to leave this place in peace because you can find the cure. You can find the healing here. And I would encourage you as we come to our song or if at the end of service, if you want to come up and talk to me or one of the leaders and have us just kind of have a conversation with you, maybe pray with you. But even if you don't come forward, I want the Spirit to be impressing something on your heart that you need to get right with God, that you need to reconnect with God, that you maybe need to go home and spend time in prayer, maybe not just one time, maybe not just two times, maybe not three or four or five or six, but you need to be in prayer seven days a week, spending time in God and allowing that process to play out until you get to the point where you look up one day and you see that your disease has been taken away, that you can truly believe that God has made you clear because he wants your heart to be cured. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to be restored. He wants you to have a faith that is like that of a child, that for you to get back to that place of innocence and have a faith that is untainted, unjaded, and undamaged. And so today it might be put on your heart to come forward and confess something that has been eating away at you a sin that has started the process of decay in your relationship with God and with others. If you have that sin that is growing and you want us to pray with you to purify your heart, please approach someone to do that with. Because we want you to leave here with hope. We want you to leave here with peace. And so as we come to the conclusion of this message, do something about it. Allow God to cleanse you but also connect with others and allow God's grace to free you from that disease that has been eating away at your heart.